2: die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League.
3: We got fresh (laughs) frozen strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. (laughs) Yeah. I got a MF wagon. (laughs) Like, let's be real.
0: (laughs) The Washington Nationals. Hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me as always is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny. And the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. Hey,
2: everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat. This is episode 105. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We appreciate you so much. Um, I'm Amanda, and I am joined tonight only by Nick. Ryan had other obligations and is not able to join us. Um, Please make sure you find us on Twitter. Follow the show there at Half Street High Heat, and uh, you'll always get the latest news and information about the Nats and about what we're up to. And don't forget to check out the website at www.halfstreethighheat.com. There's a great article out there today with all of our team's predictions for who is going to do what for the Nats this year. So those are fun because we'll get to see how spectacularly wrong we all were at the end of the season. And make sure you check out the YouTube channel, The Rundown with Half Street High Heat, which always has some great videos for you. And more to come as the season gets started this week. It is finally opening day week. I'm so excited.
4: I can't wait. It's uh it's been a long road to, to get to this point, but we're we're finally here, only a couple days away.
2: I know. It you know, it felt like a really long offseason since they didn't make the playoffs last year. It's just been like this interminable.
4: Yeah, it's funny how 2019 like reshaped our uh perspective on the offseason. It's like <laughs> We're so oh, so it, so spoiled. <laughs> yeah, is this is this what a normal offseason's like? This sucks. It's like let's win the World Series and play as much baseball as possible every single year. Like why not do that?
2: Let's do it, and let's not finish last the following year.
4: Yeah, th- that would be, you know, a great follow-up campaign. But unfortunately, some teams just choose not to be good the year after winning the World Series.
2: Looking at you, Red Sox and yeah. Nationals.
4: Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> something about red.
2: <laughs> something. Something about red. Well, um, since – well, are we going to do a weekend review without Ryan, or are we going to yeah, skip that?
4: Yeah, I have one, but – You have
2: it. Okay, good. Well, before that, we're going to do the yeah. quick pitch. Um, Zim. Holy crap, Zim is en fuego right now. Does he get any starts at third base this season? Since you were predicting maybe that might be a possibility.
4: I would just like to point out that, <laughs> um, you know, this has been a popular topic on Twitter, and Mark Zuckerman did shoot it down last week or a week before. Um, but I would like to think I'm the first one who came up with this. because you I were definitely the
2: only one who thought I, of it.
4: But I didn't see it anywhere. On Twitter beforehand, and since then, people have started. You know, clearly, I, I've never tweeted at Mark Zuckerman so you know the fact that he he tweeted that. Other people have been mentioning him, asking if Zim at third is a possibility. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I'm just clearly, saying, the only
2: thing we can, can we can infer from all of this is that he listens to the podcast. That's
4: well, it's funny <laughs> you mentioned that because they did start the Nats chat podcast, and one of their first follows was the Half Street High Heat podcast. So, you know, there is a foundation there to infer, as you say, that Mark, Mark Zuckerman does indeed listen to our podcast. It, it's the only, you know, yeah. plausible deduction you can make. I like to reach. think so,
2: and no one can dissuade me right. from it, so I'm going to just go with it.
4: Many have tried to dissuade you, and no one's been able to. Yeah,
2: I am undissuadable. Indissuadable? In, Non-dissuadable? Indissu-
4: indissuadable? Why are there so many prefixes disuaded? that
2: mean not? It makes no sense.
4: English is hard, man.
2: Yeah. You know, when I was in the army, I, I did language training. Um, there's a language school that the army or the whole military sends people to. It's a joint service post. And there's only two languages that are considered like category five difficulty for non-native speakers.
4: Mandarin and English.
2: Mandarin and English. Wow. Really? Did I tell you that story
4: before? No, I, I just guessed.
2: <laughs> hey, we've done a lot of episodes. I can't keep track. But, yeah, Mandarin and English, they're really, really freaking hard. I don't – most people who are native English speakers can't speak English correctly. So,
4: This is true. This is true. I'm currently in Florida, and I know that.
2: (laughs) I'm seeing it demonstrated all around me. Exactly. All right. Well, hit us with the week in review.
4: All right. Opening day is Thursday. Spring training is wrapping up, and teams are beginning their trips to their opening day locations, except the Astros. They are making a pit stop in Houston before going to – wait – before leaving Florida, and the entire team is getting vaccinated. MLB and the PA announced Thursday, or today, excuse me, not Thursday, that they will be incentivizing players to get vaccinated that if they do, they will have looser protocols and will be also announced if teams get 85% of players and staff vaccinated, the entire team will have looser protocols. Individual teams are following suit to incentivize players. I think this is a great idea. Mm -hmm. We have seen certain players, we don't have to get into that, say they're not getting vaccinated, but the 85% of teams helps, you know, helps that cause. MLB PA director Tony Clark says he is open to talk with MLB about moving the All-Star game out of Georgia following the state's new passage of a sweeping voter suppression bill. Many players have privately expressed concerns to the MLB PA. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts said he would consider not managing the game if the game is still in Atlanta. This is definitely something to, to monitor, and it's funny that it's happening to the Braves. Rosters are starting to take shape as Felix Hernandez opted out of his Orioles deal. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world for him. Cubs offered Anthony Rizzo a five-year $70 million contract extension. He turned it down. And today he added on that. They are no longer negotiating as they have had plenty of time to talk. Mets announced they are bringing back their home black jerseys for select home games this season. This has sparked a wild debate on Twitter. It's very fun. If you, do like or do not like their black jerseys? This has been your weekend review, brought to you by, brought to you in part by your local neighborhood Chili's. Opening day is on April first, which means you can watch baseball season kick off with the Chili's Marg of the Month, the April Marg, the Straw Straw Eddie Straw Edie Straw Eddy. I think I'm going to go Straw Eddie. It's made with deep Eddie lemon vodka, lund school tequila, and <laughs> strawberry puree with a fresh shower five dollar all month long this not is so smooth on review.
2: the uh on the pronunciations of the liquor as mr ryan
4: luna oh well so the thing with ryan if if any of you you know some of our our listeners you know dm shack and, and, and all that stuff i've known ryan for a long time he's never been one for spell check yeah. so he graciously gave me his week in review which is why i did a lot better job than I normally do when I fill in for Ryan, but the dude does not spell check. (laughs) So sometimes (laughs) I can get it first pass because I have like a PhD in Ryan's, uh, you know, verbology. Um, And sometimes it it still trips me up a little bit as it did here. But I think the the tequila, I just call it tequila. I don't really care which one. So, yeah, it did trip me up. Yeah, I'm not
2: sophisticated enough to be able to tell the difference between tequilas, so... But I can confirm that story because I sent you something the other day where I was using voice to text because I was in the car. I didn't want to pick up my phone, and yep. it sent some garbled crap, and I was like, oh, sorry, and you were like, nah, I can tra- I can translate anything. I get text from Ryan all the time.
4: Yeah, exactly. It, it's a thing. Anyone who knows Ryan can confirm.
2: Nice. All right, so let's move on to our Nat's fat segment for this week. So, I mean, the big, huge, fat elephant in the room is keyboom Boom did not make the roster.
4: This is the right move. It's the first um, right move we've seen the Nats make in a while. Um, And that's not saying like the Josh Bell trade, for instance, was the wrong move, but this was a personnel decision. And, you know, you you can say the Nats haven't really excelled in this area in years past, um, but this was absolutely the right move. I mean, they, for some reason, didn't do it in the 2020 season. I get there wasn't a minor league season, so there was no option to give Keeboom regular at-bats. But at the same time, it's not like you had Anthony Rendon anymore. So Carter Keeboom easily could have gotten regular at-bats at third. If you remember, he had, I mean, anyone could have had a better spring than Carter Keeboom had this spring. But he had a, a better spring than he did this year, and people were kind of penciling him pencil, penciling him in as the starting third baseman, and he didn't play for the first four, five, six games. And everyone's like, what the heck? Why is Estruble Cabrera getting starts over Carter Keboom, who still, at that time, was your third baseman of the future? And they're still trying to say he is, but, you know, we, we call it like we see it. So, you know, now that the minor league season is, you know, being played, it's definitely the right decision, and they optioned Luis Garcia as well, which I like because... You could definitely see the uh, possible outcome where Luis Garcia turns into the next Carter Kibum because he's brought up too early. And I think in Carter Kibum's case, and we've talked about it before, it's just his confidence is shaken and broken. You know, we've seen this time and time before. Not necessarily with the Nats, but just in sports in general. If you get the yips and you don't have that self confidence, like you, you turn to a shell of your former self. I mean, Carter Keebum, I believe at his peak, was ranked the 24th best prospect in baseball. So it's not like he was just this, to borrow a, a term from Blake Snell, this slapdick prospect that, you know, had no upside. Like Carter Keebum was projected to do big things.
2: And yeah, the things we didn't trade for because right. we didn't want to let go of Carter right. Keebam. It makes me makes me break out in a cold sweat to think yeah,
4: about. Yeah, he was our untouchable which is crazy think about all the great prospects we've had Carter Kieboom was the real untouchable as a prospect so you know we you you hope he can sort it out in minor leagues in the minor leagues and uh without so much pressure because he has raked in the minor leagues before so hopefully whatever worked for him then can you know find its way back into
3: because
2: I feel like it has to be mental play. you don't just forget how to hit baseballs like he it, it's absolutely, absolutely tore mental. up the, the minor leagues he was hitting uh, he's over 300 in triple a you know there's you don't just forget how to hit baseballs he's he's got to be able to find it again I think and I'm still not ready to completely give up on Carter Keboom but I am ready to give up on him as the starting third baseman for a contending club
4: at this point it is a reclamation project and I'm not sure it's the Nats reclamation project anymore Um, Yeah, that's a really
2: good point. It may be that he's going to have to wind up someplace else. And for sometimes when people lose it like he has, like what they need to find it again is to be somewhere else. And it sucks that we may end up trading him finally and it's going to be for peanuts because when we could have gotten such a haul for him if we had done it before.
4: Yeah, like I think uh, a good example, and I'm not necessarily comparing these two franchises because if you look at the past 10 years, these franchises have been basically polar opposites, but we see this a lot with the Orioles and their mismanagement of prospects. Like there's a reason the Orioles haven't been good since, you know, the early part of the 2010s, because they don't capitalize on their prospects. We've seen it particularly with their, with their pitching prospects. Look at Dylan Bundy. Now he's leading the, the rotation in, in Anaheim, which isn't, you know, a high bar, but he's a solid pitcher. I think pretty much any staff would welcome Dylan Bundy to their rotation. Kevin Gossman is another one. I mean, the the Giants slapped a qualifying offer on him because of how valuable he was. So, you know, this isn't uncommon. And I, I mentioned it last week. You know, Nats fans have been spoiled with Soto and Robles and Harper and Strasburg and Rendon, like, and Turner and Ross. Like, all these prospects come up and they do big things. Even Giolito, like, even though he wasn't great with us, he's a science this year. just not with us <laughs> so it's like we see all those prospects and people buy into the oh build your farm system and you can't trade prospects and da 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 and to an extent i get it but you also have to realize there is a double side of the coin and you know not every prospect pans out like and that that's just sports like look at football or basketball where you know draft picks can pan or um provide right away there's busts all the time It's hard to label someone a bust in baseball because the the development period takes so much longer before they're able to provide. Like even the top prospects in baseball spend three, four years in the minors before they're able to really contribute at the major league level just because of the, you know, competition level of the major leagues compared to single A, double A, triple A. So, you know, it's just something to think about. And I, I hope Carter turns it around and he can contribute for this team. But at this point, I think a change of scenery, like is mentioned all the time in sports is the best thing for him
2: yeah i um i feel about prospects like this is a good sort of teachable moment on prospects is that even prospects that seem rock solid can't miss sometimes they don't pan out and i know there are all these people who say oh my god you can't trade you couldn't trade robles you couldn't trade um you couldn't trade Kibum. you couldn't trade giolito and while the hall we got back for giolito is obviously not what we should have i mean we won't go into that we know that's a that's a whole another topic but the idea of trading giolito and getting a bunch of stuff back and even if Gial, if we had traded giolito and gotten a huge haul back of great players and prospects and he had gone on to be great with somebody else i would be able to live with that you know what i mean and sometimes mm-hmm. you're going to trade away a great prospect and they are going to pan out but if what your club needs at the moment is to trade somebody to get something that they need, then I don't hate the idea of trading prospects because they're just such a crapshoot. You just never know. And Kibum's a perfect example of that. He seemed like you watched him in AAA and he was absolutely tearing up AAA. You're like, wow, he's ready. Call him up. And then he gets here and he just can't do it.
4: Yeah. Like, just look at the, the number one picks. Like Take out the entire draft because everyone knows – After the first round, pretty much any draft, it's like you're just – it's a guessing game almost. Like there's there's a reason those guys fell, quote-unquote fell. I I think the worst, you know, thing – I won't say worst, but 2008 to 2012 was such an insane, you know, number one overall pick. Tim Beckham, shortstop for the the White Sox. uh, Strasburg, Harper, back-to-back. Garrett Cole, Carlos Correa that's an insane stretch that doesn't accurately reflect just how much of a crapshoot the MLB draft is. Like, let's go back a little bit further, 2002 to 2006, Brian Bullington. I mean, I never heard of that name. Right? (laughs) Delman Young, who was a fine ball player, but not number one overall worthy. Matt Bush, who had, if you guys know, plenty of off field issues. So that's kind of the asterisk. Justin Upton, who was fine, but then Luke Hachavar, Hachavar. Yeah, I got nothing. Yeah, nothing. (laughs) And then since then, I mean, it's sometimes it's a little too recent, but Mark Apple, uh, something was going on. I think he's pitching in a different, but he was drafted by the Astros. Brady Aiken, he he opted out, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Dansby Swanson, Mickey Moniak, Royce Lewis, Casey Mize, who we're starting to see, but even Dansby Swanson, who's the oldest one on that list, he's a fine shortstop. But is he top five? No. Is he top ten? Probably not. But he's a fine shortstop. It's it's just a guessing game. So, yeah, but you're just
2: as likely to have it turn into Dansby Swanson as you are to have him turn into Steven Strasburg. Is the is the point? Like when you when you draft a player, it really is a crap. There's no sure thing. Know. Yeah.
4: Like S- Stephen Strasburg was the most sure thing you could have in a draft because of how insane his collegiate career was, even Bryce Harper. I mean, he was only, what, 17 when he was drafted? No such thing as a, a sure thing. Nope. And, you know, Garrett Cole pitched for – he got drafted by the Yankees the year before in first round, didn't reach a contract, and then got taken number one over, overall by the Pirates next year. So it's just like there's certain situations that, you know, do lend itself to a more sure thing, if that's a th- even possible. But overall, like draft picks and baseball, they bust all the time. It's just you rarely hear about it because there's so many prospects.
2: It's true. But, again, this is a really good point that you made by reading off some of those, over, you know, number one picks that you don't even know who they are. And that's kind of a crazy thing. You don't see that in other sports.
4: Yeah. We won't talk about
2: Dwayne Haskins, who wasn't a number one overall Um, pick, but a first-round pick.
4: I do have a little – it's not breaking news, but it's NL East-worthy Okay. John Heyman just tweeted that the Mets offer to Francisco Lindor is 10 years, 325 million. Lindor's deadline for extension talks is three days, so opening day. So, you know, the all reports have said Lindor is going to get over 300 million. So that hits that so mark. So
2: 10 years, 325. So that's on an AAV. That's more than
4: Harper. I mean, that's a solid offer. I, it, we'll see. You know, it seems like a deal will get done. Uh, When we had Meek Phil on last week, he said he felt like a deal was going to get done too. Um, So it's something to watch about, but it does seem like Lindor is going to be in the division for a long time.
2: Yay. (laughs) Yeah, I could live without that. Um, Let's pivot slightly. Um, So Kibum not making the roster. We've just talked about that at length, but let's discuss where that leaves the Nats infield situation, which is in not a good place.
4: Uh, I mentioned this last week too, like the, the problem, I, I'm okay with, so right now, let me back up. Castro is slotted at third, Josh Harrison slotted at second. Not ideal, first and foremost, but I think Josh Harrison will be fine. And I think Castro is going to be the player we kind of expect. Like he'll have a decent batting average, spring. a decent non-base percentage. He won't hurt the team, but he's not going to be like exceptional silver slugger or anything like that. But he'll be fine. Um, So it's like, you know, we'll have a fine infield overall, but what contender is, you know, satisfied with just fine? And that's really the problem. And the, you know, the thing I mentioned last week is the problem with Josh Harrison starting is now you don't have that utility Swiss Army knife guy off the bench because Josh Harrison can play a bunch of different positions and give a lot of guys days off. And you can still do that. But now you're starting Jordy Mercer, I guess, in in days that you give off. So, like, if Josh Harrison fills in and left. I mean, I guess you have Stevenson, but it's just a a lot of – it creates a lot of problems that you wouldn't have if you had just simply addressed either second or third. There were
2: so many infielders available this offseason. For cheap,
4: too.
3: Yeah,
2: especially the ones who signed in the past month. Like you had so many options, and even if you still planned on having Keyboom be your guy, there why no why no depth signings? Why no backup plan? I just don't get it.
4: It, It's and that's I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but it's just it's not a cohesive plan. You make the Josh Bell trade, but then you leave uh, your other side of the infield, the, the cornerstone at third base, you leave it empty. And I get they had high hopes for her to keep him but it's not but like,
2: high hopes is not a plan
4: high hopes is not a plan and it's not like healthy competition ever hurt anyone like, right and
2: i don't know i just if i you don't have, know how he if left you left third base unaddressed if you
4: have anthony rendon there you don't bring in competition if you have a prospect there who's still rookie eligible
2: yeah and bring they have tried to give him that job for two years they have tried to hand him that job on a silver platter for two years and he just won't take it
4: and now, like you're left in the situation, the best player available is Todd Frazier, which I, doesn't. I mean, doesn't even get it, me even, real even if you sign Todd Frazier, you're still talking about needing to address that position moving forward. So it's like, at at what point, or at what point is it like worth bringing on Todd Frazier if it shakes up your forty man and you have to DFA someone and stuff like that? So, I have a
2: feeling we're going to see a, somebody before the trade deadline. If, if if the Nats are in contention and there's some teams that aren't who are looking to sell, all I can think of is Rizzo, certainly, if the team is looking like they're going to be good enough to make a push in the second half of the season, that they're going to have to go out and get somebody. But then again, I said that in the offseason, that they were going to have to go get somebody, and I was wrong. I think wrong, this so. is
4: a little bit different, because if someone goes down, you're forced to be, like, if one person goes down. It's not like, you know, if... You know it. God forbid. I'll, I'll use Robles because I'm not even going to mention. Uh, Don't our, even do our best it. At outbound, best outfielder. But if if Robles goes down, Stevenson can fill in. And you're like, all right. But if anyone in the infield goes down, you're like, you're starting Jordy Mercer. Right. And then if Jordy Mercer, <laughs> who, who's not very good anymore. Sorry, Jordy. Um, like if he's not performing, you're gonna need to address that position, even to give a guy a day off. So it's just like y- you've put yourself in this position. And it, it just sucks to see, especially when you want to consider yourself uh, a contender.
2: Especially when they put so much. They have the best bullpen on paper going into the year that they've had in years. And ages. that's and,
4: quickly dissipating. Yes,
2: that's another thing. I didn't even put that on the Nats bat. But the bullpen is not looking as as uh, beefed up as it was three weeks ago.
4: <laughs> Nats going to net.
2: Did we ever figure out what the hell happened with uh,
4: Jeremy Jeffress?
2: Jeremy Jeffress. Did anybody ever? I mean, I know there was some weird drama between him and his former agent, but I never found out what the.
4: Like there was rumors that he um, like smokes weed. So like teams didn't like that, even though weed weed is legal now in the MLB. uh, Or I should say they don't test for it anymore. So it's like, I mean, come on. Um, that can't be
2: it. I don't believe that's it. I don't believe yeah. they would have. They would have released a guy as good as Jeffress. If I don't, I that don't was know. all it was. I don't
4: but to answer your question, no, we haven't heard anything. Ryan got really close, oh. and then they uh, they clapped Shaq, so he he got too close for their comfort. Ah, oh, the powers that be
2: came after yeah. the feds got him exactly. All right. Uh, let's see. Will Castro and Soto both be ready for Thursday night for the opening night game?
4: Yeah, I think so. It seems like that, you know, as soon they were super careful with Soto. Um, so it seems like he'll be good to go. And since Castro had his, they
2: were doing a sim uh, game I don't today, know if I think there was
4: cramps or, or what, you know, what the final diagnosis was, but it seems like he's going to be ready for opening day. But again, it'll be interesting to see how long the leash they give him because you know, if he tweaks that thing, he could be out for a while. And then, I like I just mentioned, you're starting Jordy Mercer every day. And I don't know what team really wants to do that.
2: That's my analysis of that situation. Um, so, Lesser, speaking of people with injuries who may not be ready to start the season, it seems like they're ramping him up to make his first start on time.
4: Yeah, so that's good news. Coming off the uh, was it thyroid surgery, Um But, you know, that's good news. I'm pretty sure he pitched yesterday or today. Looks, you know, looks Lester-ish. So, you know, that's what they signed him for. And, you know, that's fine. The interesting thing is he's going to be the uh, quote-unquote five starter, Mm -hmm. which he explained, and it makes a lot of sense. It just doesn't make sense for Corbin and Lester to go back-to-back because they're both lefties. And it helps, uh, you know, if Lester and Corbin pitch in the same series, it helps those opponents uh, better prepare plan and prepare for the Nats. So it, this does make sense. And again, it's one of the rare times the Nats have made the, the correct personnel move. And Joe Ross has looked good. So, y- you know, you're fine giving him if, if that number four if, spot. Yeah. yeah. If, he, if he, he stays healthy all season and, and it amounts to one or two more starts, that's fine because Ross has looked good. Um, it'll be interesting to see, though, if who pitches Saturday, because I believe Strasburg, that would be four days rest and not a normal five. So Corbin might go Saturday, and then it would be Scherzer, Corbin, Strasburg. And if Strasburg's your three, in theory, Lester could go four, Ross five. But it just depends. Uh,
2: and all of that I, doesn't matter after the first time through the rotation. Anybody, anybody yeah, cares it, it always or. gets
4: shaken up anyways. Like one guy goes to the DL, and then when he comes back, if it's it's not like he's going to wait for his normal spot in the rotation. He's going to pitch when he's healthy. Yeah. And then you're, someone's going to get an extra day off. It's just how it works.
2: Um, and then Harris. it. I didn't put this in the show doc cause I just thought about it. <laughs> so the latest seems to be that he does not have a blood clot and whatever they thought was going on with him was not what was going on with him. And he's gone back to DC for some more testing and different opinions from different doctors. So no idea when we're going to see him.
4: Uh, yeah, I don't know if <laughs> this is something, you know, to monitor and it, it's what we were alluding to. Um, you know, when we were just talking the about the bullpen ben, not uh, a looking second so, ago, like you released Jeffress, who we all loved as a minor league uh, invitation, and then you know Hand wasn't looking great, but maybe he was just toying with his pitches, maybe he wasn't. We don't really know. Uh, now Harris is, is dealing with uh, uh, what uh, potentially could be a major injury health concern, um, which if it is blood clots, it's something you can't. <laughs> there's no timetable for a return on that. No. It's not like, you know, a blister or whatever. That's pretty serious, so.
2: Yeah, and they now they don't even, like, we don't know. Maybe they know, but at this point, we don't even know what the issue is because they're saying it wasn't the thrombosis or whatever they thought right. it was initially, so.
4: But the the silver lining is the Nats put themselves in a position to semi-withstand this because they had depth at least at the start uh, or at the end of all their signings. They had yeah. Jeffers, They had Finnegan. They had. Suero, they had Rainey, you know, and then the big big three, Harris, Hand, and uh, and uh, Hudson. So, you know, you lose Harris, you lose Jeffress, you still have capable guys. Hand's still your closer. Hudson, in theory, gets a bump because he's not closing games anymore, which he doesn't like doing. So you expect him to be a little bit better than he was last year. You have Rainey, who we all expect big things from. Finnegan, you know, we'll see. Suero has looked good. So it might not be the – the end of the world, but definitely something to monitor because what was once our best, best position of depth is now just pretty thin. Yeah. And it, it's good, but thin.
2: Yeah. Thin is the right word. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I'm, I was really excited about the bullpen a few weeks ago. And now I'm kind of more apathetic, maybe. Although I think there was one of us in our the article out on on the website today, I think it was Matt who chose Rainey as the one who's going to make the most start or the most saves for the Nats this year. So I guess we'll see.
4: I like that. I think all the
2: rest of us picked hand and he went with Rainey.
4: Yeah. Which, you know, wouldn't be the most crazy thing in the world if you and
2: I agreed a a disturbing amount when I read through that. Like we didn't just so you guys know, like we none of us saw each other's answers before. We sent them in, and, like, there were a whole bunch where I was like, God, can I have, like, the exact same or one number off or something? What's happening?
4: Yeah, I think we predicted the same amount of uh, steals for Trey, and then I had a, him at a two ninety one batting average, and you had him at a two ninety and then we both had the same amount of wins for sure. So it it was, yeah, it was disturbing. <laughs>
2: Disturbing indeed. Okay, so speaking of disturbing, let's talk about the Braves. So this is our Braves opponent preview episode. So um, we have an interview with Kevin McAlpin, who is an MLB Network correspondent and Braves Radio Network reporter. He was kind enough to join us. So let us play that for you now.
3: What's up, everyone? We are now joined by Kevin McAlpin, who covers the Braves. Covers the Braves for the Braves Radio Network and 680 The Fan. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Kevin McAlpin. Kevin, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course, pretty excited. Baseball season. Always great to uh to talk. And you guys aren't here, but he joined the Zoom with a picture with Ben Scully. So that was the biggest flex anyone has ever had over me in my entire life. So that was pretty cool. But to just Dive on into it. The Braves have had some pretty great regular season success lately. Um, They have a nice streak of NLE's championships going, but that's routinely been followed with some playoff disappointment lately. Um, Nats fans know a lot about playoff disappointment until 2019. Last year, they blew a 3-1 lead to the Dodgers, but in their defense, their entire rotation's arms did explode, so that kind of hurt them there. Um, This offseason, they went out and they were aggressive, and they signed Charlie Morton which brings a pretty good playoff experience to the rotation. What type of impact do you think Charlie is going to have not only with this rotation but with this team?
5: You know, I think he, obviously he's been a big game pitcher the last couple of seasons in Tampa and he's a guy that has frankly gotten better the the older he's got. Um, part of the uh, allure of coming to Atlanta, this is a homecoming, if you will. You know, the Braves drafted Charlie Morton all the way back in 2002, and uh, he only made a handful of starts before they shipped him off to Pittsburgh. But, you know, ultimately, this is a guy that brings a lot of credibility to the clubhouse. Uh, it's a very young rotation. Look, you have Mike Soroka, Max Fried, Ian Anderson, uh, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, Waskar, you know, all, most of those guys are – 23 24 years old um so you know to have a a veteran stabilizing presence in the middle of your rotation is huge so uh, um i'm i think that uh you know he's probably going to be your number two or number three starter going into the year but um this is a guy that i think if i'm a if i'm a mike soroka if i'm ian anderson uh, i don't have a ton on the back of my baseball card i can pick this guy's brain i can figure out how has he been able to, you know, evolve throughout the course of his career? How has he been able to be so successful and get better as he's gotten older? So, um, again, I think it's just a its great veteran presence to have off the field. And obviously what he's done on the field the last couple of seasons certainly speaks for itself. So um, it's a great move all around. And I know that the guys um, have really enjoyed having him around here the last couple of weeks in spring training.
4: Yeah, Charlie Morton certainly has uh, aged like fine wine and kind of rejuvenated his second half of his career, um, you know, Houston and on. Uh, you brought up the rotation, and obviously that's been, I think, a weakness in years past, but certainly you have a strong core young foundation led by Mike Sroka, Ian Anderson, Max Fried. Who do you expect to be the quote-unquote number one guy And is there could you see someone else who um, isn't being talked about as much step into that kind of ace role? You know, the, the Braves really have three aces right now, if you think about it.
5: I mean, they have uh, Max Freed, who was right there in the top five in the Cy Young voting last year, um, and who really took significant strides forward when Mike Soroka got hurt. You know, Soroka blew his Achilles, and you know, I think everybody in Atlanta thought, well, there goes the season, this is this is over, um, and that wasn't the case. So he took over, and, and he rightfully earned the opportunity to be on the mound on opening day next Thursday. So, um, you know, I I think that the the good news is they're going to get Soroka back at some point in probably mid to late April. And then Charlie Morton's a a, a top, you know, top two, top three pitcher uh, on any rotation right now. So uh, the good news is they've got uh, a number of different, you know, uh, top of the rotation type guys in the mix. And then they've got some more on the way. And Ian Anderson, who who certainly looks the part, it's a small sample size. He only made six regular season starts last year, Mm -hmm. uh, but he certainly looks like he has the stuff. To be, I had a, a couple of folks, a couple of scouts tell me that they think he could be better than Freed and Soroka down the road. Um, I don't know if I can go that far just yet, but that's that's exciting if you're a Braves fan. So, um, you know, again, I think that this rotation's in such better shape now than it was, you know, six months ago. Guys, I was hosting the postgame show here in Atlanta, and I can't tell you how many times we would have to wait and hear from Brian Snitker to find out who was starting the next day's game. And that was in the NLCS. <laughs> Um, so that goes to show you how guys stepped up. And, you know, the fact that they came that close to the World Series with, I mean, piecing that rotation together with duct tape and, and chicken wire to hold it all together is really remarkable. So, um, you know, they, it's kudos to the front office. They did a nice job bringing Mort- in bringing in Drew Smiley. Um, their rotation should be significantly upgraded here in 2021 from, from what we saw
4: on a nightly basis last year. Yeah, definitely a good problem to have with three young studs.
2: Yes, we should all be so lucky. Uh, Before we move on from the rotation, I want to talk a little more about Soroka. I know when he got hurt last year, it did seem like kind of the end of the world, but didn't turn out to be. So um, the the MacGyver together rotation was very impressive. What do we expect from Soroka? I've been seeing a lot of reports that he's thrown sim games and he looks he looks a lot better. Are we thinking April return for him or May? What are you kind of hearing or seeing?
5: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, the team hasn't wanted to officially say here's what we're targeting because they don't want to put any extra pressure or extra expectations uh, on his shoulders. They don't want him feeling like he has to get back any sooner. Uh, the good news is uh, is that the the Achilles is is hel- it's healed. It's healthy. Um, I learned a lot about the Achilles in talking to Soroka <laughs> over the offseason. Uh, basically, when you get to the five month mark out of surgery, it's as strong as it's going. When to be there's no chance that you can do any damage or have any setbacks um he's been throwing sim games they've been testing him coming off the mound uh covering bunts going over to first things like that you know all the the pfp work that gets so uh you know uh, grinding uh during the spring training uh, so i would think at some point probably third week of the regular season. Late April is what I would expect to see Soroka back. They were hoping to get him in a, in one Grapefruit League game before the team headed north. I don't know that that's going to happen, though. They're, they're sort of running out of days and running out of innings here, um, and I'm sure nobody uh, that's in Northport's sad about that. They're ready to get this regular season going. But, um, you know, he's been throwing some games through one the other day. Uh, Snit said today he felt good. His stuff was really, really good. Um, so, again, while the team doesn't want to put any – Real date, real timeline on it. I would think sometime, probably third to fourth week of the regular season, you'll see him back in there, and and uh, that's going to just going to be a huge lift for everybody, just to see him back uh, in a major league game. After, I mean, just the way he came off, it was just it was it was hard to watch. Uh, even if you're you're not a Braves fan, just to see one of the young talents like that to go down like that, uh, it was hard to see. But uh, he bounced back. He's a strong kid. He's a really smart young man, um, and he's done everything he needed to do to, to get back. Really a little bit ahead of schedule probably from where we thought he would have been uh, when, when we saw that happen last August.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another lift that the Braves had this off season was they re-signed Marcel Ozuna and now they have 162 games of Acuna Albies Freeman Ozuna, which is very annoying as a Nationals fan, but <laughs> Marcel Ozuna, as we've seen in 2017, he was an all-star, won Silver Slugger, went to St. Louis. It just wasn't clicking. He was rather disappointing. I think he had the below OPS both years, and then comes to Atlanta, set the absolute world on fire last year. Was an MVP candidate, rightfully so. Won the Silver Slugger, had OPS over one. What Ozuna are you expecting to come this year? Is it going to be the one that was on fire last year and in Miami, or the one that was kind of struggling to find his place in St. Louis?
5: You know, I think it'll be somewhere in between. I, I, I'd be lying to you if I said I thought that Marcelo Zuna would be in the mix for a triple crown, which if your Juan Soto decided he didn't want to win the batting title last year, uh, you know, it could have happened here in Atlanta, uh, which would have been just insane to see uh, that happen, you know, a batting title in the NL for the first time since, I think, 1939. Uh, that's how good he was last year. And, and, and it's funny because as great of a season as he had, you know, all the talk here, and rightfully so, was Freddie Freeman for MVP, uh you know he was probably uh, the very the quietest mvp candidate you'll see uh putting up those kind of numbers i don't expect him to hit 60 bombs and drive in 140 runs but i don't know i also don't expect him to be the guy that he was in st louis he's probably a guy that he'll be somewhere between 25 and 30 home runs when all said and done he could probably drive in you know 90 to 100 runs maybe a little more depending on uh you know what the top of the order does in front of him and like you said it's a, it's a pretty darn good one through four really one through five when you put Travis Darnot in there as well uh, fellow silver slugger winner in the NL last year so you know I, I think that it's it's going to be somewhere in between I don't expect him to be uh, you know the guy that, that hits a home run every single night but I do think he really likes it here and I think he fit in from day one and we saw it at spring training last year I mean before things came to an end it was him and Acuna and Albies and Camargo. Those guys were inseparable, and they all like to have a lot of fun. They like to talk a lot of trash on each other too. So um, he really – he liked this club a lot. He really wanted to be here. This was his first choice. Um, so, you know, he was relieved it got done. Probably took a little longer than he had hoped it would, uh, but ultimately they found a way to make it work. And honestly, when, when you look at the, the numbers and the dollars they got him back for – he was seeking 20 to 25 million a year, and the Braves get him for four years and 65 million. Um, really, ends up being one of the best deals that Alex Anthopoulos has swung here in a long time. So, um, yeah, I, I think to answer your question, it's probably somewhere in the middle. And look, if it is somewhere in the middle of what he's done, that's still a pretty darn good year when all said and done.
4: Yeah, that's a perfect segue to what I was going to ask, because uh, at the beginning of the offseason, MLB trade rumors did their predictions, which, you know, you can't put too much stock into. But uh, it's certainly fun to look at when, like us, you have nothing else to talk about. Um, But they they had Marcelo Zuna to the Nationals, I believe it was four years, 84 million. So seeing those numbers finally come across uh, was a little bit surprising. Um, I know the lack of the DHS here probably had something to do with that, but certainly a good deal. Which leads me to a question I have for you. Um, what uh, insight can you give us on signing young stars to long deals for a third of the price? Because uh, we have a couple <laughs> couple guys with Trey Turner and Juan Soto we'd like to lock up for, you know, a cheap deal. And it seems like Alex Anthopoulos knows a thing or two about that with Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies. You know,
5: guys, at the time when both those deals were signed – it felt like really, really good deals for the Braves. And then you see what's happened in the game the last couple of years and you go, Oh my goodness. It's just, you know, I, I don't know that there was any, you know, idea that those kind of mega deals would be handed out to guys like Tatis and, and others. Uh, but I mean, look, you've, you're, there's some folks that'll say, well, I can't believe he's, you know, he, he should hold out or look, $100 million is life-changing money for anybody. Um, and the fact of the matter is both those guys, Acuna and Albies, are going to be eligible to get another big-time contract when they're 30 years old. I mean, they're going to be in the prime of their careers. So, you know, look, it, it was, I think it all, at the time, it was a great deal for both sides, right? The Braves were trying to build a core, keep this team together, and also allow themselves flexibility to go out and bring in a Josh Donaldson or a Marcelo Zuna or re-sign Freddie Freeman, which they're going to have to do at some point here pretty soon because he's going into the final year of his contract. I know you guys don't want to hear that they're going to re-sign him, but uh, ultimately... <laughs> no, gonna...
2: thank you, please. <laughs>
5: <laughs> they're going to have to save some money to re-sign Freddie and keep him here in Atlanta. So, um, you know, again, it was good deals on both sides. It helped the Braves build the team and keep this core together. But it was also good for those guys. It's it's life-changing money. It's generations of their family they're taking care of. And it's it's all guaranteed. We know that. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, at the time they were great moves i don't even know what beyond great would adjective would be but man it's uh when you see and, and now when you think about other superstars and what they're going to get paid uh, i think alex should probably get a little uh, a little bonus in his contract when when some of those mega deals are signed
4: yeah unfortunately for us juan soto is uh represented by scott boris so i don't think uh, we're we're, we're going to have a deal yeah, like that anytime soon
2: yeah i don't that think that's in the cards soon. unfortunately <laughs> Well, that actually brings me to my next question for you, which is going to put you on the spot a little bit here. There is quite the controversy always about who's better, Acuna or Soto. Um, Obviously, you cover the Braves, but if you just put on your baseball analyst hat, what do you think about those two players and, you know, projecting out over their careers? Who do you think either right now is the better player or who you expect to maybe have the better career
5: you know, it's so funny. It's so hard to predict. Look, both of these guys—they're—they're they're tremendously talented young players. I love watching Juan Soto play. I really do. I don't—I don't like when the Braves play against him. Uh, <laughs> I like watching him when he's playing somebody else. Uh, but man, he is—he's a terrific player, and he's got a little swag. Both these guys got swagger. Both these guys know how good they are. But I think ultimately, they—they they both just—they have fun playing the game, and that's what—that's what's so refreshing. You know, I look at you know guys that you know they're not having—not that they're not having fun but they're not showing it i love that 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 there's a generation of players that you know i have a six-year-old son he's playing uh, coach pitch and and, you know he's even trying to do little bat flips and stuff and i'm like i know where you're getting that from you know you're watching you're watching ronald acuna you're watching that's
2: adorable
5: yeah yeah well you know it's not adorable when the bat comes close to hit the umpire so i gotta we gotta work on that but um look i think both of these guys are are really really tremendously talented players if you're asking me who i want to hit lead off for my team i'll take ronald acuna jr in two and a half years in the big leagues he's already set a braves franchise record for leadoff home runs uh, this guy can can put you up one nothing on the first pitch of the game uh, so opposing pitchers really there's no margin for error there's no hey let me throw a, a you know a, just a fastball down the middle to get myself warmed up because as you guys have probably seen from afar i mean he ronald loves to tee off early as far as hitting for average i think juan soto probably has the advantage there um, you know again he's a guy that uh, he does everything I I mean, he does a little bit of everything, and uh, he's pesky, and he can grind out at bats. He's got a really good eye. Um, he can put the ball in the seats, but he can also put the ball in the gap. Um, so again, if you're asking me, I'll, I'll just—I'm I'm not trying to deflect here at all. But if you're asking me who do I want to hit leadoff for me, I would take—I uh, would take Ronald Acuna. If you're asking me um, who might be the better average hitter, the better contact hitter, it's probably Juan Soto. But again, these two guys—I love the fact they're in the same division because they're going to go at it year after year after year. And again, that's going to create buzz. Going to people are going to talk oh, about yeah. it. People are going to tune in. So, uh, from a pure you know,
2: baseball fan standpoint, it's just fantastic to see these guys play. Each it's other great. All the
5: time. It is, and I, I love. it. And again, if if guys want to, you know, there's there's some you know old school baseball people that are going to say that's not the way the game should be played. I completely disagree. I, it's I, I've and I've dropped this on MLB Network a few times. Uh, one of my favorite underrated baseball movies is Mr. Baseball. He goes to Japan, and one of his lines is. Baseball is a game, and games are supposed to be fun. Well, it's hard to argue that Ronald Acuna Jr. and Juan Soto aren't having fun every single day when they step between the lines. Um, And as Brian Snitker says, one one place that neither of those guys will get intimidated, nervous, you know, scared, whatever it is, is on a baseball field. Those guys are just—they're meant to be baseball players, and um, they're—they're both a lot of fun to watch.
3: You know, you said you take Acuna because he could start you off one nothing. Well, Juan Soto's going to hit third, and he's going to be making a lot of games 1-0 in the first inning, so not to to (laughs) flex on him for that right there. Um, Looking at the Braves roster, I I honestly don't feel like they have any true weakness. They may have a couple question marks here and there, but it's a very good, well-rounded roster, and I think it's pretty safe to agree with the Vegas odds that they are the odds-on favorite to win the NL East again. Who would you say is the Braves' biggest threat to take the division from them?
5: Whew, it's a good question because honestly, guys, there's four teams in this division that, as you guys are well aware, that can that could win the East. Um, there's going to be probably two really good teams that are left out of the postseason this year, and I, I would say probably if they can stay healthy, I think the Mets might be the biggest threat. Now, as we know, health is a problem for the Mets, and sometimes the Mets. Become the Mets, and they go on you know extended losing streaks, and things don't work, or they lose key pieces. I just think adding Lindor to that offense, and you know Carrasco. I mean, I know he's a little banged up now. Um, Syndergaard, I know he's hurt, but I mean, with with the ground at the top, um, you know, with I think Alonso's going to have a bounce back year. I really do. Offensively, they're a really really good club, and I I think their bullpen's really good as well. Um, Look, the Nationals are really. Anytime you run a rotation with Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin one two three, um, good luck, especially if it's in a five game series. Um, So, I mean, obviously, they're going to be a huge threat. Uh, If Trey Turner – I'll say this, and I've said this on the air here in Atlanta. If Trey Turner only played the Braves, he'd probably be going into Cooperstown by, like, 2025. Um, He destroys the Atlanta Braves. Uh, I I mean, it's just they can't keep him off the bases. Um, So I think, you know, the Nationals are are absolutely a viable threat as well. I mean, they've got a lot of winners uh, in that clubhouse as well, guys that were there when they won the World Series. So um, they're a tough team. The Phillies, you know, look – I. I think the top of the rotation is is a little top heavy. Uh, I love Nola. Uh, I I think the Wheeler move last year was a good one for them. Beyond that, though, it gets a little dicey, you know. And so, if I'm a Philly fan, I'm from Philadelphia, so believe me, all my all my friends and and mom back home, they they all have their concerns with that team. Uh, But I think that you know, look, if you're asking me who the biggest threat is, I think it's the Mets. I have a hard time though saying the Mets will win the division because I just. Until they do it, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, but again, I mean, look, you ask anybody in that Brave clubhouse, when they have to suit up against the Nationals, they know they're going to have a really, really tough series. They know pitching is going to be you know, on display. Um, they're going to have their work cut out for them. And, and think about it, too, in this division, let's say the Braves, their opening road trip is to, DC and, uh, to Philly and D.C. So they're going to get Nola Wheeler probably uh, – two out of three of Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. I mean, that's that's five of your first six games. Um, it, it's a grind for that, for that first road trip. So, uh, you know, again, it's it's going to be a division where two really good teams are going to be, unfortunately, sitting home watching the postseason this year. Um, I almost wish there was expanded playoffs this year just because this division is so loaded. And honestly, guys, it's going to be loaded for a long time to come.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um... I got to feel like the Nats are going to slowly go to the bottom of that because they don't really have a farm system. But with the Marlins, you know, having a good farm system and young, I feel like they're a couple years away and the Braves aren't going anywhere. So it's going to be a fun division. Um, We just have two more questions for you, and they're a little easier. So today is March 25th. What is your March 25th season prediction for record and how the Braves season will end?
5: Oh my goodness, you guys are putting me on the spot. Yeah, this even, is this is easier,
3: Ryan. Yeah,
5: yeah. This is we're tough interviewers. So you gotta watch out. I haven't even put my projection on Twitter yet. All right. So you're gonna get just the half-baked off the top of my head. Um I think the Braves will find a way to win the division. And I think the way they're gonna do it is by some kind of move happening at the midway point of the season. Um, they like their team. They like what they have. But I think there could be one move that maybe puts them over the top. Maybe it's an arm in the bullpen. Maybe it's a big bat off the bench. Um, you know, the rotation is set. Knock on wood, unless they, you know something was to happen. Um, they've got the depth there. Uh, but, again, maybe one more big arm, you know, late. Uh, in the game, that, that could help put them over the top. I would say probably low 90s feels pretty safe, and, and that's probably going to be enough to win the division because these, these teams are just going to beat up on each other every single night when they get together. So I would say probably 91, 92, and that should probably win you the division. Um, but again, look, as we know, lots can change over six months. Um, so I'll, I'll say this. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm really just grasping right now. I'll say 92 wins. They do win the East, but it's not going to be pretty, and it, it's going to be a, a a race to the finish line in September with probably three teams within a couple of games of each other, and it, it's going to make for for must see TV, or I guess for for RN must listen radio, if you will, uh, down the stretch. It's going to be a it's going to be a dogfight every single night in this National
0: League East.
3: It's it's definitely going to be fun. Um, I think I have the Braves win like ninety seven or ninety eight in winning the East, um, but I agree with a lot of points you made. So. As I said before we had you on, we like to end with a fun question. Um, It's just our way of saying you're best friend of the podcast. There's (laughs) a very fun debate that we've been having for the three years we've had this podcast, and it's over the designated hitter. So I have to know, are you pro-DH or are you anti-fun and you like watching pitchers hit?
5: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, you know what? I – I consider myself pretty old school with no. a lot of things. No, no, I, oh, I, I'm wait. not done. Oh, I'm
3: not However, <laughs>
5: <remember, Dang>. um, <laughs> watching the DH last year, I thought was fun. Um, I enjoyed it. Look, it, it. It worked out great for the Braves because uh, they were able to move Marcelo Zuna there, and that, that worked out tremendously well uh, for the Braves. So while I consider myself old school in a lot of ways, um, I'm okay with the DH. I liked it. Um, I don't necessarily – I thought about it last year a lot, and I'm like, you know what, I don't need to see pitchers go up there and swing, and I don't need yeah. to see somebody turn an ankle or get hurt running up to first. Uh, the scoring was up. I think we can all agree that there was a lot more offense in the game last year. And look, at the end of the day, it was only a matter of time. I think, I think what we're going to be talking about this time next year is the DH back for good uh, with the new CBA as they move forward. So that's why I'm a little surprised we're not going to have it this year. You're going to have it, then you're going to go back and back and forth for a couple of years. Um, you know, I, to that end, I, I hated initially the runner on second base rule in extra innings. You know what? I thought it was kind of cool. It was interesting strategy. I'm a fan of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I liked it. I didn't like the three batter minimum. I was not a oh, fan. That's of dumb. That. Yeah, it's dumb. It's. Is it really speeding up the game? Is it really cutting out that much dead time? I don't think so. Um, but some of the other, like, okay, and I'll say I'm giving you a really, really long winded answer, and I apologize. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with these new rule changes. Some of the stuff they're experimenting with in the minors this year, I'm like, I, I could, no, I don't, I don't care about any of these new rules. Uh, but I actually grew to like the ones last year for the most part. Hey, um, seven inning double headers. That should stay forever. I'm all about seven-inning doubleheaders, especially when, I'm hosting. Uh, especially when I'm hosting two post-game shows. So, yeah, I'm all <laughs> oh, about two seven-inning doubleheader
2: games. <laughs> uh, well, your different. turn to the dark side is disappointing. <laughs> I am the well, anti-DH voice on this podcast. I love it so also much. Also known
4: as the anti-fun person on know, the podcast. I like
2: fun. Strategy is fun. Real baseball is fun. The National yeah. League is fun. Yeah, it's never won
4: in the World Series without the DH, so. You're and, just and, living in denial. And guys, it, it, she's right. It, it is a totally different strategy.
5: I mean, it, There was 15 National League managers that had to completely change the way they managed last year, and and it made it a little, probably a little bit easier. If there is easier managing uh, a big league game, uh, there's probably 30 guys that would tell you it's not very easy, but uh, it probably made it a little bit easier because you're not worried about where the pitcher's coming up, things like that. But um, yeah, I liked it, and I'm okay if it sticks around. I I, I would be okay if it came back.
3: Fantastic answer. I agree 100%. I love the DH.
5: Heavy,
3: <sighs> <would>
2: disappointed lo- <laughs> sigh is all I can say. I, mean,
3: I also would have loved the DH if my DH was an MVP candidate last year. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. um, Hard to argue with that. Kevin, wanted to thank you again for coming on. It was fantastic talking with you and interviewing you. Um, once again, you guys can give Kevin a follow on Twitter. You can find him at Kevin McAlpin. And keep up with all things Braves. Kevin, once again, thank you so much, and best of luck to the Braves this season.
5: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on.
3: Yep, of course. All right. Thanks again
2: to Kevin for joining us. Um, it was a really good interview. Um, obviously, the Braves are, I think you would say, the biggest competition, but maybe the other—maybe you would go the other way and say the Nats might be not the biggest competition for the Braves. I guess it depends. Uh, most people seem to be picking the Mets to finish second. But we shall see. Um, If you want to follow Kevin, check his stuff out on Twitter. He's at at Kevin McAlpin. That's M-C-A-L-P-I-N. And hopefully we'll get to chat with him again soon. And uh, before we talk about the Braves some more, can we please have a word from our sponsor?
4: Absolutely. Heaters, that interview and all of our interviews are brought to you by Manscaped. Spring is coming. Flowers are blooming. The grass is growing. And it's time to mow your lawn. Both lawns. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped. You can trim the hedges below the belt safely and efficiently. The Lawnmower 3.0 is awesome. Yes, I'm talking about ball trimmers, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Manscaped, global leaders in men's below the waist screaming. You guys should know this by now. They have an exclusive offer, and this has been going on for a while. So if you haven't taken advantage of it, I won't hold it against you, but I expect you to jump on it. 20% off and free shipping off of everything. No exclusions, no hassle, no, you know, having to find a promo code on RetailMeNot or Google or Honey or any of those other sites. Half Street High has got you covered. Use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping off everything. Everything you order, anything you want, we got you covered. Help me help you help us. I love saying it because... It means a lot when you support this show, and you know you get something out of it, too. It's a win-win. Let's make it happen. Go to Manscaped. Use our promo code today. Also, please check out the Half Street High Heat store. As opening day is coming on Thursday, we will unveil some some more designs, more merch, so please keep an eye out. Usually, when new stuff drops, it's on sale for 48 hours, so if you like it, jump on it right away because it's not going to be on sale for long please support us tweet us we'd love to see all your new merch anything you want if you can think of it we probably have it so please check us out
2: yes indeed and the new merch is always super fun they have those great sales and uh, you'll have some new stuff to rock for the beginning of the season absolutely all right so let's talk braves um so As you know, we talked with Kevin and went pretty in depth on a lot of the stuff already. But just who, by the
4: way, was a phenomenal interview. Yeah, he was awesome. I I hope we'll get to.
2: Yeah, we would love to interview him again. So maybe when we have a big Braves series or something, we can get him back on the show.
4: Yeah, when when the Braves are twelve games ahead of us in August, we can bring him on and talk about how poorly the season has gone for the Nets.
2: Wow, that was that was pessimistic. I thought we were trying not to be the pessimist anymore.
4: Can I? Interest you in a compromise on realist.
2: <laughs> all right. So, Dancy Swanson may be injured. Um, I just saw an article about that today. I don't know. Kind of it, – it's all very nebulous at the moment. But that's kind of – that would be a big loss for them if that's the case starting but the at, season.
4: at the same time, is it – like, I don't know who their necessarily backup shortstop is at the moment. But is he one of their best five players? A, well, maybe not
2: but he's you know he's a well above replacement
4: level oh no no th- that's fine I'm not, and... I'm not trying to say he he's not good but Acuna Albies uh Freeman Ozuna even Darno yeah. are more impactful offensively Dansby gets on base and he's a fine ball player I'm not trying to take anything away from him but it, it's if Acuna you Acuna goes down or Freeman goes down then we're talking like okay who's gonna like take season Indiana changing
2: although I right. thought that when Soroka went down last year and it didn't turn out to well be.
4: It, it should have but then Freed stepped up yeah. it, it's and you know Ian Anderson stepped up in the playoffs so you know that's one thing we really hit on in, in the interview with Kevin like what was normally the Braves weakness in their p- starting pitching is now like crap where's the off day Like when are we facing Julio Tejeron and when is Bryce going to hit three home runs off of him? Like (laughs) we don't have that anymore. There's like, they're all very solid pitchers. And if they all pitched, like, I guess we expect that's, it might be the most well-rounded rotation in the NL East. Like maybe not the star power of the Nats or, you know, the, the Mets even, I mean, even the Phillies, like, I, I would say Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler are probably better than anyone in the Braves rotation, but the Braves have the most well-rounded rotation. And it's not like those pitchers aren't going to be good. So, I mean, if, if Dansby Swanson's injured, I'm not going to say great, but it certainly helps in that's cause. But I don't think it's going to change the, the course of the Braves season.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment um let's talk I mentioned Soroka a minute ago um what do you expect from him seeing how he's going to bounce back it was pretty gnarly injury and he seems to look good in the spring like he's going to come back and just like slot right back in like he was before do you think he's going to just pick up where he left off or do you think there's going to be any lingering difficulties
4: there's definitely going to be some rust even though you know he it's not like he's coming back mid-season like he he's had spring training work and whatnot um but like I just mentioned, the Braves are in a the best position for Mike Soroka in that they don't have to force anything and they don't have to rush anything. If Mike Soroka is not ready, it's really no skin off the Braves back because they have the pitching depth to support, you know, one of their young studs taking his time in his recovery. And that's something like the Nats don't have. That's something, you know, even the Mets really don't have. Phillies don't have and that's what makes the Braves in my opinion still the best team in the NL East because they can lose a guy like Dancy Swanson and not skip a beat really they can lose a guy or you know miss a guy for a time in Mike Soroka and not miss a beat with what they starting pitching so I think there's going to be some rust but I also think it's going to be sooner rather than later uh when we see Mike Soroka be the Mike Soroka we kind of expect to see.
2: Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I don't know what I expect from him. He was so good, you know, and this, I remember when he went down, it was just sad because, you know, when you just as a baseball fan, you hate to see gnarly injuries or, you know, any sport really. There was just in hockey just the other day, one of the really young guys, um, was it yesterday, the day before Aaron Eckblad had some nasty leg yeah, break. Thing of Saturday. Yeah. You just hate to see that happen to people, especially younger guys who are like having terrific years. And uh so I, I would like, obviously I don't want the Braves to have a good year because I'm a Nats fan, but I I would love to see Soroka kind of come all the way back and be who he would have been if that had never happened. So I guess we'll find out in the not too distant future, but um, yeah, he's just so unbelievably talented, I think, and young enough to make a comeback from an injury like that. You feel like with older guys, sometimes those injuries, they never really get back to themselves, but I expect Soroka will.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. And that injury was, man, that, uh, the clip of it is, is tough to watch for those I, you who don't I know. I never
2: watch injury clips. I do not want to see. It's an
4: Achilles injury and it's not as bad as like a leg snap, thankfully, but you know, obviously the Achilles is on the back of your heel. And he was like, it was uh, a PFP. So pitcher fielding practice for those of you who don't know, ground ball to first pitcher has to cover. He tries to plant, but as his, momentum is shifting forward his heel is planting down
2: yeah it's his, just his, cool. his
4: Achilles just stretches. oh I don't even want
2: to I don't even want to
4: Achilles stretches ah. too far oh man it was brutal and you knew it right away what what it was and what happened um but yeah. in I guess if there is a silver lining it's not his arm so yeah you know, he, that is a silver he, lining he's, it's not like he is trying to battle back from Tommy John and figure stuff out obviously there is you know uh I guess a learning curve or that that period it takes to find your mechanics because, you know, pitchers, as you all know, tinker with their mechanics all the time. So that's going to take time. It's just how long is it going to take Mike Soroka? Well, he's best, had the spring. My best so. guess, yeah, it, it's not going to bleed too much far, too much into the season.
2: Okay, let's talk Acuna. Um, what are your expectations? Obviously, Braves fans think he's, you know, the knees, and he's going to be the MVP and he's – the greatest player in baseball.
4: All of the things,
2: uh, all of the things Nats fans think about Soto.
4: <laughs> so he's a leadoff guy, right? They've found, even though on paper, his skill set is best used as two, three, maybe even four hitter. They're using him as a leadoff guy and they're using him as a leadoff guy to much success. Uh, when he came up in what, 2019, um, 2018, whatever it was, uh, you know, they they had some games with him in leadoff and had games without him, and the record disparity between the two was apparent. So now he's their leadoff guy, even though, you know, it's not like he, he's not fast and can't steal bases, but usually if someone has 40 home run capability, you see them a little bit down in the lineup. Um, but, you know, th- that's what they're rolling with. and it, it's, it's working
2: for him so far. It's
4: working for him. As Kevin said, you can start off the game 1-0 with Ronald Acuna. So... It's there's no there's no breaks with the Braves in the lineup in the rotation. Like if you have them on your schedule, it's one you have to prepare for because they're going to be on their best game time night in and night out. And we've seen that past what four years they've won the division mm-hmm. five, maybe. Um, so it, it's something to you have to pay attention to because it, there's really. No, no time off with the Braves and starts at the top with Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman, you know, coming off MVP season was great. But that team flows through Ronald Acuna because his skill set, both on the base paths and with his power and whatnot, it's it's hard to ignore.
2: Do You think they're as good as the Dodgers?
4: I think if there was one team best suited to take down the Dodgers, it is the Braves. And I would put the Braves ahead of the Padres right now because we haven't seen the Padres in full motion yet. Uh, right. We all, because we they all look, look like
2: it on paper, but we haven't seen them do
4: it. Right. We all want to root for the Padres and hope they do well. And they are the ones to unseat the Dodgers because we talk about the Braves dominance in the NLE. So over the past couple of years, the Dodgers have been dominating, you know, the, the NLE since before I was born, basically. So, you know, you hope it's the Padres, but the Braves have been there, done that and they have been doing it for some time now. So it, it's hard to sustain success in baseball, and any sport, but baseball definitely, and the Braves have been doing it. And last year they finally broke through with some, you know, playoff series victory. So I hate to say it, but I think they're on the verge, and it's very hard to repeat in baseball. So I expect, you know, a little little teaser for our our Thursday episode, but I expect the Dodgers to be unseated in the NL.
2: Oh, it is a little teaser. I like it. All right. We're going to finish off the show tonight with a bold prediction. I know we're going to have our one like bold prediction for the whole league in our predictions episode on Thursday or that comes out on Thursday, but let's do an NL East bold prediction.
4: Oh, do you have one ready?
2: No. I only oh, thought of it like right when we were starting to record. So I like I it. For this.
4: Uh, I'm trying to because I have mine for Thursday and I don't want to jump the gun on any of them. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I guess spot or I did a guest spot on another podcast. Um, uh, last week in, you know, it was a Nats episode, obviously. And they asked me what my NLE's prediction was. And I. I've mentioned on the show before, but I talked about how I think Jackson Rutledge pitches over 100 innings for the Nats. Um, I am still on board. That's a good NLE's
2: bold prediction. I like it. I'm
4: still on board with that, but that one is very Nats-specific. I think most other fans aren't really going to pay attention to what Jackson Rutledge does. So I'm going to say – let's see, let's see, let's see. I'm trying not to think of one more. Specific. Uh, I'm going to dive deep here, and Miguel Rojas of the Marlins has the second best season of any NLE shortstop.
2: Oh, that's that one a little obscure.
4: You asked for NLE's bold prediction. I
2: like it. I like it.
4: I mean, think about the shortstop. You have Dansby Swanson, Trey Turner, Francisco Lindor, and is it Didi still? Yeah, I think it's Didi. So it's not like no-name shortstops. Miguel Rojas would be the lowest no. on that totem pole. But to have the second-best season over those quality names, that's a bold prediction if that's I do say, say so prediction. myself.
2: Okay. Um, I'm going to – I'm trying to think. I'm going to say – we're going to stick Braves since this is our Braves episode. Oh, uh, that's good. Um, Christian – how do you say his last name? Is it Pache? Pash?
4: Uh, I think it's just posh, but I don't know. Is it just posh?
2: Now, that was a cool story last year, how he was like a rookie, but he's a rookie this year, but also was in the postseason last year because of the way the rules work. So that's pretty cool. I'm going to say that he is the rookie of the year, even though he played last year.
4: Interesting. I mean, the the big thing, and again, we won't get ahead of ourselves because Thursday, huge teaser here, we have a – packed episode with an interview by Matt Weirich, best friend of the show and little uh, fun guest spots on our pod. Um, but we're getting into the rookie of the year, but the rookie of the year is a lot to do with obviously opportunity. Gavin Lux was the heavy favorite last year with the Dodgers and he didn't even see the field because the Dodgers were just that deep. And more importantly, they didn't have any major injuries. So that's an interesting pick because if Christian, Christian, Posh Pache uh hits the big leagues, that probably means someone goes down and Pache, you know, takes that job. So definitely a bold prediction there.
2: Yeah, I just think he was, yeah. So I that was a fun one. I figured yeah. I'd stick with the Braves. I liked it. <laughs> all right, excellent. You got anything else before we get out of here?
4: Um just plugging the the website uh because Monty's gotten on me a couple times because I've forgotten. Um, uh, but please check out all the great articles we have going on. Uh Amanda referenced it earlier, but we have our nationals cumulative season predictions and stat predictions from everyone involved with half street, high heat. So if you want to check out what our predictions are for Soto's home runs, trade turners, steals and batting average MVP, Cy Young hopefuls, all-star hopefuls, uh, you know, all that good stuff. Please check out Matt's article on the site. It was just published today on Monday. Um, Let me check the schedule to see what else is coming. Obviously every opponent preview we have and then at least Monty posts uh, an adjacent article that's been great in the Braves article will be up on the site by the time you're listening to this um March 31st the day before spring training CK has his series preview for the Mets which is obviously our opening series my uh oh Monty's article about all of our awards and bold predictions will post opening day so that'll you know correspond with our That episode and then my final article with my stadium rankings comes out friday that (laughs) that's like nothing compared to the work these guys are putting out this week in particular so please check that out and uh, be on the lookout for more frequent videos from our youtube team because uh, they are going to be doing game recaps uh, once the season starts so be on the lookout for that as well
2: Yeah, there's been a lot of great stuff out on the YouTube channel and on the website in, you know, as we've gone through spring training, but it is about to get so much better once the season starts. So if you guys haven't checked out the website yet, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but you're missing out. So make sure you do. It's www.hashstreethighheat.com, ST, not street written out, Mm -hmm. um, just like our Twitter handle. So yeah. make sure you check that out and then make sure you subscribe to both the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts and to the YouTube channel. So you get notifications.
4: Yeah. We're going to have drop to drop new episodes. We're going to have to figure out a way where someone can enter their email in on the site and get email notifications whenever we upload something. Because, um, one thing Monty's doing, cause he, he's the best, uh, you know, editor in the face of the earth, um, They're actually doing, whether it's Monty, CK, Matt, or someone else, they're actually doing series previews of every series all season long. So I think after the Mets, we have the Braves. There's going to be a Braves article previewing that series. Then it's the Dodgers, I believe. There's going to be another article. So you actually get pitching matchups, any injury updates, anything going on you're up to date if we don't talk about it on the podcast for some reason there's an article there covering it so it's going to be awesome please keep up with that because it's great great work
2: it is it's great work and it's just good when you're going into a series if you're not you don't have time to yeah, you know do you a bunch might of reading not know what's going on with stuff. that team yeah
4: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a great thing
2: okay well um so this will be posted for you guys when you're listening to it it will be tuesday and then thursday opening day we will have our big opening day episode so super looking forward to that
4: can't wait
2: and hopefully ryan will be back with us for that one i guess everybody
4: oh well way to spoil a surprise
2: i did spoil it
4: Well, maybe i spoiled it by saying maybe spoiled you spoiled it.
2: <laughs> all right that's enough of that good night <laughs>
4: There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator Who has
3: the cause this past the wall we'll see you later we <laughs>